Well, hey friends, like Mark said, my name's Tatiana. If I haven't met you at you before, I am one of the worship leaders on staff here at Menlo. And I just feel like I wanna tell a really funny story about that video. My husband uh, made that video and he went through all this time. Yeah, Timmy. <laughs> he went through all this time finding sound effects and thought it was so funny for that scene where Jesus is tearing bread. He found a video of someone tearing bread for two hours on YouTube. <laughs> Just the things that you find on the internet are really funny. But <laughs> anyways, I am so honored and so excited to be here with you all this evening, to be in this series, Moral of the Story. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we kicked this series off last week. Um, and basically, what we're going to be talking about each week is looking at a different person in the Bible, looking at their story and the events that took place in their lives and seeing what God might be able to teach us through that person and through their story. And when Michael asked me to speak as part of the series, I knew immediately that I needed to speak about Saul and David, because so much of what Saul struggles with, I struggle with. I struggle with jealousy every single day. And by a show of hands, how many of us here have ever felt jealous before? Okay, yeah, so I think that's pretty obvious. We've all felt jealous before. Uh, jealousy is something all of us feel from time to time. It's a very natural human emotion. And if you and I have ever had a conversation before, there's like a 95% chance I've talked to you about how much I love cats and how much I love my cat, Edens, especially. Are there any cat people? Fewer hands, but, but still great. <laughs> and, oh, yes, this is Eden. <laughs> so this is the day that I met Eden, my cat. She was three weeks old here. And this is the day that Eden, my husband, Timmy, and I became a family. <laughs> so sweet. And ever since I was a little kid, I had this really weird fantasy that when I would get married, it would be me, my husband, and my cat. And my cat would really love me. And my husband would, you know, try to snuggle the cat, try to hold it, and it would be like, nah, don't really want anything to do with you because I love Tatiana, and she's my favorite. But unfortunately, this has panned out the exact opposite of what I wanted it to. <laughs> Eden freaking loves Timmy way more than me. And when Timmy wakes up in the morning, Eden will, like, hear him stir, and then she will meow really perkily and walk up to his face, curl up, on his face and sleep and purr and look at me with these like happy eyes like she's with the one that she loves. <laughs> but when I try to do the same thing, when I try to snuggle Eden and love her, this is her reaction. Let's take a look. So that was me and Eden, and I was trying to say goodbye to her because we were leaving for Disneyland, but she did not want to say goodbye, and my scalp was throbbing for like an hour and a half. But I think it's pretty easy to say that I feel a lot of jealousy in this dynamic with Timmy and Eden. The love that Eden shows Timmy, I just wish that she showed me too. And the reality is every single one of us experiences feelings of jealousy from time to time. We feel it in small things like I do with Eden and Timmy, and we feel it in bigger things too. And simply put, jealousy is the fear of being displaced by a rival in affection or favor. And that's going to be the definition of jealousy that we're going to be holding on to this evening. 
So now today we're going to look at the story of King Saul and see how he struggled with jealousy over his successor David. And now the story of Saul and David spans over 17 chapters in 1 Samuel, but today I want to focus on chapter 18. And the Snapchat screenshot that I came across, I feel really captures the heart of this story. You can see, this is someone's Bible. <laughs> on one page, Saul loves David, and on the very next, Saul seeks to kill David. <laughs> so this part of the story takes place after Saul has been told by a prophet named Samuel that God has rejected him as king over Israel because of Saul's disobedience, and that now God is going to raise up someone different and someone better to take his place. And right after this, Goliath shows up. And I'm pretty sure the majority of us in this room have uh, heard some version of the story of David and Goliath. And what was going on here was Israel was at war with the Philistines, and they had this really tough, macho soldier named Goliath. And he was taunting them and asking them to send one soldier to fight him. And if Goliath killed that soldier, then all of the Israelites would have to be the Philistines' servants. And obviously, Israel was terrified in this situation. And you would think that in this situation, it would be their king that would step up and defend his people to fight for their honor. But it was actually a young shepherd boy named David who was brave enough and who was bold enough. And he came and he was willing to fight Goliath and Saul actually clothed David in his own armor and basically just sent him off and wished him good luck. But as we know, David actually beat Goliath with a slingshot and a single stone. And this is where our story picks up in chapter 18. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Friends, this was the moment that Saul began to listen to the voice of jealousy inside him. Those thoughts in his head saying that he wasn't good enough, that he didn't measure up to David, that because his people were comparing him to this younger leader whom God obviously had favor on, that now he needed to compete with David. And the irony in what Saul is saying at the end there, what more can he have but the kingdom, is the kingdom was already taken from him two chapters ago. But right now, Saul is coming to this realization that it's actually happening, that God actually is raising up David to take his place. And Saul's main goal was just to keep the throne from himself. So he felt that David's presence alone was threatening that. So Saul chose in this situation to not pour into David, to not mentor him or raise him up as a younger leader. He didn't desire for David's growth and success, but for his failure. So Saul, from that day on, sought to destroy David. And when I think of this, I can't help but wonder how different Saul's life and how different Saul's legacy could have looked like had in this situation he saw, okay, God is raising up David. God obviously has favor on him. And you know what? I've made a lot of mistakes as king. But you know what? I think I can share some of the wisdom of what I've learned and what God has taught me with David. And what if Saul then decided to mentor him 
and to teach him what God had taught him. How differently might we remember the story of Saul and David today? But Saul didn't do that. Saul instead started throwing spears at David when David would play music for him. He started sending David out on these impossible missions, making him do these ridiculous tasks for Saul with the hopes that as David was carrying out those tasks that he would be killed. And my personal favorite is when David wanted to marry Saul's daughter, Michael. Saul said, okay, you can marry her, but bring me back a hundred Philistine foreskins. Yes, we said foreskins in church tonight. <laughs> and when these death missions didn't work, Saul just ended up driving David out of the kingdom, and he was hunting him down to kill him. So David had to run from his, for his life from Saul. And David had many opportunities to, to kill Saul, but he showed him mercy, and he spared his life time and time again. And friends, this downward spiral of Saul's life all began with comparison. The voice of jealousy spoke to him, and began to take control over his life and actions. And the reality is jealousy is a part of human nature. It's something that lives dormant in our hearts, feeding off our insecurities. And when the voice of jealousy speaks, we are presented with a choice, a choice of how much power and authority we give that voice. We get to choose whether or not we feed it, whether or not we listen to its voice and allow it to warp our perspective of ourselves and other people. So if we have any chance of silencing the voice of jealousy, we have to consider what it looks like and how we can identify it in our thoughts and actions. Because when we listen to the voice of jealousy, it robs us of the blessing and joy that God wants for us. So first, we need to learn to identify it, what jealousy looks like in our lives, in our thoughts and in our actions. And as we said before, jealousy is the fear of being displaced by a rival in affection or favor. And when we feel jealous, we're often anxiously suspicious or paranoid. We can become deeply concerned with our rights and our entitlement. We can take other people's success personally. We can desire status and achievement. And I have personally felt this in not wanting to share my success with other people and wanting to get all the credit for something. Proverbs 27.4 says this, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Who can stand before jealousy? Anger and fury are often easily identifiable. It's pretty easy to recognize when we're acting out of anger, but jealousy is different. Jealousy likes to disguise itself, and jealousy is more secretive. Jealousy causes us to lie to ourselves about our motives, about why we actually don't like that person about why we're so impatient with them, why they get on our nerves so much, why we just now have to unfollow them on Instagram because we can't stand to see their posts anymore. So I want to invite us to take our moment, to be honest with ourselves, to search our hearts. And a local pastor, Chip Ingram, calls this a sober self-assessment, where we just take time to make sure that deep within, we're really being honest with ourselves. So all across this room, we're going to take a moment and close our eyes and ask ourselves a few honest questions to see if jealousy could be showing up in our thoughts and actions. So go ahead and close your eyes. Take a moment and ask yourself, am I overly critical of other people? Do I have hidden feelings of inferiority? 
Does another person's success make me feel inadequate? Do I need a lot of recognition for my achievements? Do I find it hard to compliment others? Is it hard for me to hear people compliment others? Am I willing to participate in gossip about a successful person? Do I secretly enjoy or wish for another person's failure? You can open your eyes. Chances are, as I read through those questions, some person or some situation came to mind for you. I know it did for me. And it's been said before that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I think the same thing can be said about jealousy. We most often direct our jealousy at another person, but all that it does is poison our own hearts. And we've all drank this poison in some way, and God's heart for us is to heal us and to set us free from these thought patterns. And when we drink this poison, we can become overly critical of other people. We can compare ourselves to other people. That's when we're unable to celebrate another person's success and we feel that their success somehow calls into question our own. So then our reaction is naturally and most often subconsciously to try to bring that person down to our level because their success has somehow wounded our ego. Theologian Clovis G. Chappelle said this, it is a very human trait in us to feel that another's advancement is in some way a blow to ourselves. It is equally a human trait to feel that another's downfall and disgrace in some way adds a bit of luster to our own crowns. Similarly, C.S. Lewis said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are be proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Friends, competition is what is at the heart of jealousy. We are driven to compete and compare ourselves with others. And most often we do this because we're experiencing feelings of jealousy in an area of our lives that we have placed way too much identity in. We're more likely to feel jealous of those who are most similar to us in their calling, in their gifting, whom we share the most in common with. We resent them the most. Musicians envy other musicians. Athletes, other athletes, politicians, other politicians, CEOs, other CEOs, and the list goes on. Because when our identity is wrapped up in something we do or something we own, we can't help but constantly compete and compare. And this makes us incapable of celebrating God's blessing in another person's life. And this was Saul. When the women saying that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, I can't help but think, shouldn't thousands be enough? Thousands is still a really impressive number. But to Saul, all he could hear was this comparison. And all he had to affirm his heart was the praises of other people. So in his mind, as long as there was some guy out there slaying 10,000, his thousands would never be enough. He would never be enough. He would never measure up. And there was a time in my life that I was a lot like Saul. And recognizing that you are like Saul is humiliating. You realize that you've allowed this ugly monster of jealousy to dictate how you view and treat other people. And honestly, I'm ashamed that this is part of my story. I'm embarrassed that this is part of my story. But I feel that it's so necessary that I share it because Jesus really drew me out of it. 
And he taught me how to combat these lies that I was listening to with his truth. At this time in my life, I was volunteering on a church's worship team, and I found way too much identity in my voice. I loved being on stage, and I loved being recognized from other people as that girl that sings when I was off stage. And it was really unhealthy for me. My ego was fed and well-nourished, and for a while, there weren't a lot of other vocalists on the team, so I sang about every weekend. But soon enough, the team began to grow, and I wasn't needed as much. I wasn't the best. I didn't get the same opportunities. And I began to resent the other singers because they got opportunities that I felt that I was entitled to. So when I would hear people compliment these other vocalists, I felt a personal blow to my ego. And it was hard for me to listen to that. And I couldn't muster up the strength to compliment them, to tell them that they did a good job or that they had a beautiful voice because I was so focused on myself. And I thought that their success somehow took away my gift, that their voice somehow took away my voice. But God chose to meet me in this darkness, to break my pride, and to teach me the way of humility. And he did this by bringing someone along who called me out on how I was acting out of jealousy and pride. And this is to date one of the hardest, most painful conversations I have ever had. The jealousy I was feeling was robbing me of God's blessing and joy. It was exhausting keeping up on the lies that I was telling myself, trying to justify why I was acting the way I was. And I was eaten up by insecurity and self-doubt and was trying to remedy that by competing and comparing myself to others. And this whole time, God was just trying to shout at me, child, if you could just see yourself the way that I see you, you wouldn't feel so inferior. You wouldn't feel this need to compete with other people. You would see that I love you more than you could ever understand or comprehend. And that is enough. And you are enough to me. And through this person and this hard conversation, God showed me how unhealthy my inability to celebrate in someone else's voice was. So even when it was hard for me, I chose to seek out opportunities to compliment other people. And through that, I learned to see that person and their gift the way that God did. And I didn't see it as a threat anymore. Instead, I began to see how uniquely God has created each one of us and how he has given us each something so special. And when I was able to see someone else the way that God sees them, he enabled me to see myself the way that he saw me. Friends, when I was listening to the voice of jealousy, it robbed me of the blessing and joy that God wanted for me. I was miserable. And the reality is God's heart was so broken by how I had let these lies of jealousy poison me, and he wanted to heal me. And he used this person to tell me the truth, even though it stung so bad. And he wanted me to be healed and whole, so it was okay with him that it hurt so bad for me to hear these things. And if you're not a musician, you may not relate directly with this story, but you may have felt something similar, some sort of identity crisis when maybe someone got a promotion that you wanted. Or maybe you were even more qualified than they were to get that promotion. Or maybe someone was able to afford to go to a school that you wanted to, and you couldn't. Or maybe you had a really rough life, and you see people around you, and you have friends around you that seem to have it so much easier than you do, and you can't help but wonder why all these things keep happening to you. 
But when God opened my eyes to how I had allowed these lies of jealousy to poison my thought patterns and my actions toward other people, he taught me some very practical steps of how to combat these lies. And I want to encourage you to try these. They might work for you. First, God taught me to consider how to celebrate another person's success. He taught me to compliment them, to recognize the uniqueness of that individual and how special they are in God's eyes. I was listening to another worship leader share a struggle that she had similar to mine, and she said that God taught her to sit under other singers and worship leaders and to discern how differently she heard God's voice through each of them when they sang. That when one person was singing, she was always reminded of the majesty of God. And then when another one was singing, she was reminded of the depth of God's love for her, and she was able to recognize and appreciate the beauty and the gifts and the message that God had put on these other people. And when, I, when she was able to see the beauty and the gifts of other people, God then in turn showed her the unique message that he had given her and the beauty in her gift. So friends, if you want to fight jealousy in comparison, you have to stop looking inward at yourself and learn to celebrate and love other people first. And most importantly, as God was teaching me how to combat the lies of jealousy, he taught me a lot about identity. And honestly, if you forget everything that I said tonight and you remember this one thing, it's that the most effective way to fight jealousy is to remind yourself daily of who God says you are and to find your worth and your value in who he says you are. And when you allow these truths to have more authority in your thought patterns, the temptation to compete and compare won't seem so necessary. Because the kingdom of heaven is not an issue of who is the greatest, of who God loves the most. It's not a place for competition and comparison. When Jesus' disciples were focused on being the greatest, he said that whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And Jesus did just that. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he was mocked. He was spit on. And he was betrayed by one of his closest friends into the hands of those who had fully given into the lies of jealousy towards him. So what Jesus wants you to recognize as you struggle with jealousy, as you struggle with fearing, feelings of inferiority, with a desire to compete with others, is that you have nothing to compete for. Listen, that you have nothing to compete for. You cannot earn his favor. You cannot earn his love and affection towards you. He loves you so, so deeply, friends. And he wishes that you could see yourself through his eyes, that you could see who he says you are. And honestly, if you could just see yourself through his eyes for one second, you wouldn't feel the need to be so jealous. You wouldn't feel the need to compete for anything. So tonight, I actually want to close by taking a minute to try to see ourselves through his eyes. And I'm going to invite the band up right now. I'm going to read through a few verses where God is saying who he says that we are. And as you listen to these verses, I strongly believe that God has one that he wants to stand out to you. There's one that he is going to make seem so much louder than all the others that he is saying directly to you tonight. So as I read through these, you can close your eyes, you can hold your hands out in front of you in a posture to receive, or you can look at the verses on the screen. Honestly, whatever would help you receive. But I want to challenge you to ask God 
which one does he want you to hear tonight? So let's hear from him. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do so that we might walk in them. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to believe who you say we are. God, may your voice be so much louder. May your voice be so much clearer than all the others. Father, I pray that anyone here struggling with jealousy, with feelings of inferiority, with the desire to compete with other people, God, I pray that they would find their rest and their strength in recognizing who you say that they are. God, we have nothing to compete for. We have nothing to compete for in light of who you say that we are. So God, help us to believe it. Help us to take it to heart. Help these truths to truly change how we view and treat other people in our lives. God, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray.